Welcome to Transform, a podcast highlighting the people and ideas shaping the future of senior living. I'm Tim Regan with Senior Housing News. On today's episode, I spoke with Lynn O'Connor, President and CEO of Ingleside, a Rockville, Maryland-based senior housing and care provider with three life plan communities in the Washington, D.C. area. It's clear that COVID-19 is a catalyst for change in the senior living industry, and O'Connor believes the pandemic will only accelerate the trend of nonprofits scaling through mergers, acquisitions, affiliations, and also new and innovative partnerships. Although Ingleside currently spends about 3% of its annual budget on technology, the organization hopes to one day increase that investment to as much as 10%. And O'Connor says that ongoing investment has paid off by helping the organization keep its residents connected and engaged during a disruptive pandemic. Before we get to that interview, I wanna take a moment to highlight our SHN Architecture and Design Awards. This annual competition recognizes cutting edge design and excellence in senior living across the US and abroad. Last year, we received more than 100 entries for consideration. We're looking to celebrate more unique projects this year, including both the new development and rehabs that are improving the lives of seniors through innovative design. If you think you have a project that fits that description and you're looking to showcase it, visit shnawards.com. Submissions are currently open. The early bird deadline is September 30, and the final entry deadline is October 31. And now, here's my interview with Lynn O'Connor, President and CEO of Ingleside. Lynn O'Connor, thank you so much for joining me on Transform today. I wanted to start with getting a sense of what it's like to be at the helm of a nonprofit senior housing and care organization right now. What's that like, given all of the disruptions around COVID-19? How are you faring at Ingleside? Challenging and purposeful, Tim, is how I would describe it. Continuing to be purposeful because we're in the business of serving older adults and we have terrific staff and we have a wonderful mission and vision that guides us as well as values. But COVID-19 has added a level of complexity that in my 40 years in this profession, I have never seen before. But thankfully, we have committed board members, flexible residents, caring staff, and family members who have been understanding, but it has been impactful. I'm curious to know what's been the most complex part of dealing with COVID-19. I mean, obviously, this is a really challenging virus or a disease, but yeah, what's been most challenging about dealing with it? Right. The fact, Tim, that it's new in terms of we've never seen anything like this before. We have board members who are physicians on our board and listening to CDC and CMS and local jurisdictions, as well as uh, our colleagues. Everyone is this is new territory for us. So to sum it up, communication is really essential in all of this and building trust for our residents and for our board, for our bondholders, for our donors, so that we can continue to move Ingleside into the future and thrive in perpetuity, even though COVID has had a definite impact. So to give you an example, of course, we stopped congregate dining. We've closed our dining rooms. 
But what led to innovation and ingenuity in terms of technology, Tim, has been really exciting. We've had an investment in technology in the past, but we're seeing our staff and our residents come together in ways we have never even thought of before. Residents are having social hour with each other, leaving bottles of wine at each other outside their apartment doors and still continuing with their socialization. I've heard from residents that they're so glad that they're living in our Ingleside communities because of all the great work that staff has done. Our projects, though, have taken, we've had some challenging times. We took a breather. March 13th, we made a very difficult decision to stop move-ins. And we did that, Tim, so that we could build trust because our residents and our staff health and safety is paramount in everything we do. Of course, margin is as well, but we needed to just take a breather to figure out how to do this safely, the move-ins. And so we stopped move-ins until we figured that out. And now we've started doing move-ins again. So those are just some very few examples of how COVID has impacted Ingleside. Yeah. Along the lines of move-ins, I'm also curious to know, what is Ingleside seeing with regard to revenue and expenses right now? Obviously, I'm assuming that halting move-ins, that's a hit to your census. And so logic would dictate that would be a period of declined revenue. And I've heard from a lot of providers, almost every provider I've talked to have said that expenses are way up right now. So what are you all seeing in terms of revenue and expenses and what are you doing to, to mitigate that? Right. An important question because we're focused on mission and on margin as well as strategy. And so absolutely the revenue top line has been impacted, not only just because of move-ins, but because our donors, our foundation has been impacted because it's very hard. Our president and CEO of our Westminster Ingleside Foundation says that donations and philanthropy is a contact sport just like sales and it's very hard to have the same impact when you're meeting by zoom as if you're meeting face to face so our foundation has been impacted our westminster ingleside group known as wing which is our real estate development and property management company has been impacted because we had some potential Business arrangements for real estate development, that's on hold. And of course, in our life plan communities, when we stop move-ins, we have seen an impact in our revenue. And because of the COVID expenses, we've seen an impact in our expenses in many ways, personnel, as well as all the supplies that an organization needs to safely serve our residents and our staff and to take care of everyone. So it's been a challenging time. We're really fortunate and we feel blessed too that we were able to receive almost $5.3 million from the payroll protection program, which has been a huge impact for us in taking care of some of the COVID expenses. And so that has helped all of our six not-for-profits. So hopefully that helps you understand what we are going through in a small way. Absolutely. I'm also curious. So you you are someone that works in the nonprofit world. So I, I want to get your perspective. You know, COVID nineteen is a, is a challenging time, and, and coming up to this period, you know, we were seeing I think 
a period of consolidation among nonprofits as they sought to gain scale in creative ways to really, I mean, survive in some cases. So COVID-19, I would assume, could accelerate that trend. But I want to hear your your take on this. Do you think that we could see a wave of affiliations down the road as more nonprofits seek to gain scale in order to survive this period? And also, I'm just curious, how do you and how does Ingleside think about affiliations and mergers just generally? Right. Another astute observation on your part, Tim. Absolutely. We see COVID-19 as an accelerator for mergers, acquisitions, partnerships, innovation, changing what we do in older adult services in so many ways. Our strategic plan for several years now has been focused on not just on our staff, which is incredibly an important initiative in terms of acquiring, developing, and retaining excellent staff, but partnerships, not but, and partnerships and expanding our mission and impacting older adults in different ways has been on the forefront of what we've been doing. And we're continuing to focus on that. Can't get into it because we have uh, signed non-disclosure agreements, but we're working with several other nonprofits, innovative nonprofits on some things right now. And I think that will continue. You know, when Ingleside became Ingleside, well, 1906, Ingleside at Rock Creek started, 1993, Westminster at Lake Ridge did, and 2009, Ingleside at King Farm did. I'm just giving you a context for who we are as an organization. We've been continuing to evolve in the 114 years that we've been around. And I came in August 2nd of 2010, and we were three separate life plan communities doing things totally separately. And our board was so wise, and they wanted to create a supporting organization, which we did, and that's Ingleside. In 2011, we received the 501c3 status. So we've been focused on consolidating. We took those three separate entities, and we have consolidated them in an affiliation, if you will, to provide back-of-the-house services in sales, marketing, technology, human resources, finance, board governance strategy and all of those key areas so that we would have efficiencies, effectiveness, scale, because they were doing things separately at each of those communities. So that was our start. And now we're continuing to take what we've learned and what we're doing and continuing to improve it, as well as to share it with other outside not-for-profits who may or may not want to partake in those efficiencies and that opportunity, because we've seen great outcomes from this consolidation, if you will. And it's really not a consolidation, it's affiliation. Yeah. And you had mentioned in your answer, you had mentioned technology, and I want to talk about that. Obviously, COVID-19, that's forcing residents in their rooms. Folks are sheltering in place. I recall that Ingleside was an early adopter of Amazon's Alexa technology. So I also want your perspective on this. How is Ingleside implementing technology in its communities right now? And has that given you a leg up when dealing with COVID-19 and all of the infection control measures that you had to implement? Right, Tim. Another great question. So, you know, we're very fortunate. We have a chief information officer, 
in terms of technology. Dushankin, I think you've had the opportunity to speak with her, so or Senior Housing News has. And because of what our investment, Ingleside's investment in technology, we invest about 3% a year. And with Dushanka leading that effort, yes, Alexa has been a really big part of what we've been doing. It's helped with people, as you know, who are hearing impaired and have trouble with keyboards and those kind of things. But it's very interesting. Alexa's still being used, but we haven't really seen an uptick in the utilization of Alexa. What we're really seeing an uptick in is we've added additional TV channels so that residents are able to receive communication via technology through TV channels. So we're seeing more of that. What we're really seeing, Tim, is Zoom utilization all throughout the organization. Our residents are using Zoom with meetings. Staff are using Zoom. Our board members are using Zoom as well as that's how we've been communicating. Our Ingleside leadership team, that's the team, our team of leaders, we meet every single day to discuss COVID and coordinate and communicate once a week with, and we do that by Zoom. Once a week, we have a COVID-19 call. I want to give a shout out to Christine Pottles, our Chief Operating Officer. She's been our COVID champion and has done a stellar job with this whole COVID initiative. But from a technology standpoint, everyone in the organization is using technology. So we really haven't stopped doing what we're doing. We've just been doing it differently, using technology as a tool to continue to connect. That makes a lot of sense. So I want to make sure I understood you correctly. So you said that 3% of your budget basically each year goes towards technology? Yes. And we would like it to be, Dushanka would like it to be 6 to 10%, but we've gone from 1% to 3%. It's a really important tool for us. It provides efficiencies, and it, it really helps us with data as well. Yes. So I'm, I'm also curious, when you're putting that money back in technology, what do you mean when you say that? Is this uh, you know, bringing new vendors into the mix or is this implementing new technology or buying new devices? I guess, yeah, what, is, what does that money go towards when you say you're investing it in technology? Right. Well, Tim, you know, uh, you you mentioned Apple before, how technology changes in a picosecond, right? So to keep up, you have to continue to invest in new technologies. Also, security and technology is critically important to us because we want to ensure that everything that we do, because we use technology in everything from documentation in skilled nursing that's HIPAA protected, also our Zoom is HIPAA protected, those kind of technologies, as they evolve and change, we have to continue to reinvest in those upgrades, invest in security and technology to ensure that hackers don't get into our system. And that's a really big initiative. And those those things are really expensive. So we spend a lot in audit and compliance and technology and reinvesting so that we're continuing to evolve as the technology evolves. We wish that we could spend more to bring in new technologies. It's staying up to date to the best of our ability with what's out there. And Dushanka has done a stellar job in keeping us informed, and uh, she continues to grow and evolve in her space and her profession so that she allows us to know what's available, how much it's going to cost, so that we can see our return on investment in terms of technology. 
Yeah. And a moment ago, you had mentioned that Ingleside has a new COO, or you had mentioned, Christine, the, the COO. So I'm curious. So I know that your CFO, Tim Myers, used to used to share that responsibility. He had a sort of a dual role, I think. So in bringing on a new COO, what was the thinking there? And what do you hope this will allow Ingleside to do? Right. So, Tim, before Tim Myers became the joint CFO-COO, we did have a COO. And in fact, we created that position in March of 2016 to really continue the the vision of Ingleside as a supporting 501c3 organization to have with an operational expert to take all of our processes as well as our systems and our policies and our procedures and standardize them from the back of the house. In our life plan communities and in WING and our foundation and Ingleside at Home, which is our at-home program, of course, they're going to have their personalities and their nuances and their businesses, but the back of the house can be standardized. And when you have a chief operating officer that's focused on those operational efficiencies and effectiveness and standardization, it really accelerates our ability to move forward. And it was just too much to have a CFO and a COO in an organization that's progressive and innovative and has a vision to take its mission and use excellence in everything we do in terms of deploy excellence in everything we do, as well as to look at how we can share our mission with others. So that's why uh, Tim went back to being a CFO. He's delighted to do that, and we're thrilled to have him focused on finance, and our COO is focused, Christine Pottles, on all those things that I just said, and she's a key part of the leadership team as well. And she also has a very strategic mind, and she's been in the profession for over 30 years, so she has a lot of experience, and we're very fortunate to have both of them. We're fortunate to have all of our staff, quite honestly. I want to ask about something else that Ingleside is working on. I know that Ingleside has has worked to create these centers for healthy living. Update us on some of those expansions, whether or not any of them are open. I can't remember. I think one of them was due to open this year. I but that was, I can't remember the last time I had checked. So update us on, on the process and just more generally tell us what has that been like and how has that helped Ingleside in during this uncertain period? Right. So, Tim, you know that we spent about $500 million in these new projects and the Centers for Healthy Living were a very key part of that. And quite frankly, Ingleside at King Farm Center for Healthy Living opened last year with great excess success and the residents and staff were so thrilled to have that, those new spaces, those new programs, the energy was palpable. COVID has impacted that because we had to shut down a lot of those services, such as the fitness center and the salon and and the congregate education, although the education is now going through Zoom and we've taken some things outside and with social distancing now, we're able to continue those things. Ingleside at Rock Creek Center for Healthy Living was supposed to open this year. And unfortunately, before it opened, COVID impacted us. And we also have a project at Westminster at Lake Ridge, and we put that on hold. It's now resumed for a Center for Healthy Living there. So COVID has impacted our Centers for Healthy Living. That's the past. We're moving forward 
intentionally with everything we do to ensure that our staff and residents are safe as we look at reopening these things. And of course, we're following CDC, CMS, and local jurisdiction health departments guidance as well. More generally, how is COVID-19 informing the way that Ingleside thinks about its continuum of care? And I ask this because when I spoke with Tim Myers, your CFO, last year, he had said that you all were planning on focusing, I think, less on skilled nursing and more on ILAL memory care. That was before COVID-19. So has COVID-19 accelerated that or changed that thinking at all? Right. So, Tim, we still see a place for the continuum of services, which IL, AL, memory support AL, and skilled nursing. That said, COVID has impacted memory support assisted living, and skilled nursing was impacted even before COVID, and it has been impacted even more so with COVID. So when we're looking at what we're doing, our biggest competitor has always been people living at home. That's why in 2015, Ingleside created Ingleside at Home to provide services to our residents and to the outside community in their home. So what we're looking at is still having our life plan communities figuring out innovatively what understanding what people want. And we still see a market for life plan communities. That said, we also see a great desire for people continuing to live at home. So continuing with our services in a different way, we're continuing to think through how we provide those services, how they'll still be desirable to people and provide value to people so that they'll want to come in. Tim, it's really interesting. Some of our residents, because I used to do these CEO coffees and I would go to our communities to do them and I would do what we call Ingleside Talks with our staff and And it was great to be physically there with people, but now we do them by Zoom. And some of our residents, it's very interesting, are saying, we are so glad that we're here at Ingleside, even though it's different than what we thought it would be without the dining, because they feel safe, they feel cared for, they feel loved. Uh, Our residents got together, and, and I'm sharing this with you just to let you see how there's still a desire when people understand life plan communities, there's still a desire and a value to be part of that community setting. Uh, Our residents got together and they donated $100 to each of our staff members in gratitude for all that they were doing. So yes, we still see a place for life plan communities. We're thinking about reinventing. How do we reinvent ourselves? How do we deal with the outside private duty and home and community-based services? Where is skilled nursing in all of this? And how will it be provided? Will it be provided to people in their apartments through home health? Will it still be provided in an inpatient or in-resident setting like we have now? And as I mentioned to you, this is my 40th year anniversary in older adult services, and I've seen things evolve and change, and they will continue to evolve and change. Larry Minix, the prior president and CEO of Leading Age, who you know, used to say that there'll be two types of organizations, the excellent and the non-existent. Ingleside is committed to be excellent and innovative so that we will thrive in perpetuity, and that's why we're re-examining all that we're doing in the services and programs so that we can meet that vision. That makes a lot of sense. I have to say, I love I love Larry's perspective on things. So I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm always great. glad to talk about that. More generally, how 
how has COVID-19 affected the way Ingleside is thinking about future expansion or development projects? And it sounds like earlier on in the pandemic, you had to modify or pause your plans. So tell me more about that too. Right. So we intentionally took a breather with our half a million dollars worth of projects so that we could understand how to safely move in people. So that impacted that. And we talked about Centers for Healthy Living, but through Wing, our real estate development and property management company, we were also talking to other organizations that had development projects in the works and they were looking to Wing because they saw what a great job Wing did at Ingleside at Rock Creek, Ingleside at King Farm and Westminster at Lake Ridge with those half a million dollars worth of projects on time and on budget. And those are on, most of those are on hold right now. So it's, it's Ingleside and the rest of the organizations in our space that are really looking at right now with our focus on COVID and, and the expenses associated with COVID. You know, we're continuing to do concurrent paths focused on the here and now as well as the future and when is the right time to enter into projects again. And our boards play a big role in that, right? Because our resources, uh, we just need to be very strategic about how we utilize our resources. So those are all things, variables in the equation as we think of expansion and new projects. We still see that as an opportunity for Ingleside and for Wing. It's not if, it's when. I want to also switch topics from COVID-19 for a second to something else that is on the forefront of the discussion in the country right now. You know, obviously with all of the protests and with all of the new visibility on the Black Lives Matter movement, I think this is as good a time as ever to talk about diversity within the senior living and care industry. So I wanted to ask you, how does Ingleside approach diversity in its own workforce? And specifically, how is the organization striving to make its leadership more diverse? You know, one of the things that we hear often in the industry is that the leadership is not as diverse as perhaps it should be. So, um, yeah, how are you approaching all of this and, and what's your philosophy on that? Right. Another important question, Tim. Thank you for asking that. So our board has been, I'll start with the board. The board has been focused for about, well, I've been here almost 10 years, for about nine years and probably before I came on increasing the diversity on our board. And it's been a huge challenge. Quite honestly, it's been a huge challenge because we could do more and we need to do more in recruiting diverse board members and as well as leadership team members. We just recently have brought on several new leadership team members that will aid our diversity so that our staff, when they look at our leadership, will say, wow, I too can be that person and there are no barriers in the way. So that's really what we've intentionally been focused on. How do we do that? How do we attract more leaders, whether they're board leaders, whether they're staff leaders? And quite honestly, we've been working on diversity for residents as well. As you know, life plan communities do not see nationally much diversity in in their communities. So uh, that has also been an initiative that we've been trying to approach. Monique Eliza, our 
chief of sales, marketing, and strategy officer had an initiative to look at diversity, especially in the Asian community at Ingleside at King Farm. And it's been challenging. It's been challenging when we look at diversity. From a Black Lives Matter standpoint, we have been focused on that as an organization. Our residents at Ingleside at Rock Creek had a peaceful protest on Military Road, which was really a powerful statement from them, and residents and staff were involved in that, as well as at King Farm, they had a peaceful protest. So our organization, we have a lot of activists on the board, residents, staff, and we will continue. It's challenging, but we will continue focus with a focus on diversity and how we become more inclusive in terms of diversity. Yeah, all of that makes a lot of sense. It's interesting to me that the residents participated in some of these protests too. Is that something that they basically facilitated themselves? They said, hey, we want to do this. Or was, you know, did, did Ingleside say, hey, let, let us help you do this or let us, you know, help facilitate this for you? How, yeah, I guess, how did that work? So it started out as a brainchild from our residents because where we're located, they are born activists and they wanted to do something and then staff assisted them in how to facilitate that. So it was a joint effort once the residents provided the the kernel of what they wanted to do. Yeah. I'm a former resident of the D.C. area. I've lived in Fairfax and I lived in Rockville. Uh, so I, I know the area pretty well. I remember reading that Ingleside placed ads. This was a story that I wrote a couple of years ago now and placed ads in local LGBTQ publications. I don't recall if that was if that if those were ads for residents or if, or if those were hiring ads. But it got me thinking about LGBTQ plus representation in the industry which is so important. So um, along the lines of diversity as well, how are you thinking about getting more LGBTQ plus representation in your workforce and also in your leadership? Right. So to that important question, Ingleside is SAGE Platinum certified. And, and you know, SAGE is an advocacy and services group for LGBT elders. And so we're really proud of that, uh, going through that cultural competency training. And Platinum is the highest level. So we, and we did that with all of our staff so that we could understand how to be more inclusive because when you, nine out of 10 older adults who are in the LGBT community, when they're asked, they fear moving into an organization like what we have, an older adult community, because their fear, they sometimes, now not where we live, as as you well know, because we're much more inclusive where we live, but this is a national statistic, because they fear that if providers know that they are part of the LGBTQ community, that there may be some discrimination. So we want, we have an inclusive orientation and transparent orientation anyway and culture in our organization. We have some great stories of residents who live here who are part of the LGBTQ community and other residents have embraced them. And so we wanted to go through the platinum certification so that all would know that we take this very seriously. And that's why you saw the ads and they were for residents. We also welcome and embrace staff members. Well, Lynn O'Connor, this has been a fantastic discussion today. I feel like we've covered a lot of ground. So I am just thankful that you came on the podcast. It was great to have you. Thank you, Tim. 
And thanks for all the great work that your organization is doing to spread the word and keep us focused on what the challenges are and what the opportunities are. You do a great job. That concludes this episode of Transform. Don't forget to check out the SHN Architecture and Design Awards at shnawards.com. Submissions are currently open. The early bird deadline is September 30, and the final entry deadline is October 31. I'm Tim Regan for Senior Housing News. Thanks for listening.